You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Well, a couple things you need to know about me. It's been a little while since I've been at uh, Cumberland. Three things you need to know about me. One, uh, we just had a baby a month ago. And so that's amazing. It's the best thing in life. We're getting lots of sleep and everything is so great. If there's bags under my eyes, just give me some grace. We were up at 4.30 changing diapers. Um, Has nothing to do with the talk, but here's a picture of my daughter. You may have just seen it. This is... Mercy Catherine Partrick. Isn't that awesome? She's precious and I have no reason of telling you that other than I love her and I'm proud of her. And her mom's doing great. Everybody's doing great. Uh, Number two thing you need to know about me is um, that I'm cheap. I'm very cheap. It runs in the family. I got it from my dad, Uh, but I am very cheap. My wife has learned over time that I think she's now learned I'm cheaper than she originally thought I was. Um, I call it stewardship. Some people would call it uh, cheap, but I'm very, very cheap. Number three thing you need to know about me is that I love golf. Like love golf. I watch golf on TV. I'll play golf anytime. I'm actually talking about how much I love golf so that hopefully somebody out there that has a membership at a really nice golf course would send me an email saying, hi, I heard that you love golf. Yes, I would love to play with you anytime. It's interesting when you put those two things together because golf isn't very cheap. And so I've kind of had to wrestle with that, you know, through, uh, through my life. I'm not very good at golf, uh, but I do love it. I'm better at top golf than I am at real golf. I like the arcade version. Anytime you start counting putts, I'm in trouble, uh, but I love it. So a couple of years ago, a friend reached out to me and said, hey, Grant, I've got these extra passes to go to the tour championships at East Lake. Would you want to go? And I was like, Why are you even calling me that? Just tell me where to meet you with the passes. One, it's free and I will never say no to anything that's free. And number two, it's golf. So I'm gonna get to go watch like like Rory McIlroy and Jordan Speed. I'm gonna get to go watch them for free. This is the best day of my life. Of course I wanna go. So we got the passes and my wife and I uh, were going to East Lake to watch this golf tournament. Few things you have to ask yourself when somebody gives you tickets. Number one, you want to ask, why didn't they want to go? Ever been there? Like, hey, we have these two tickets. This is a great concert in Atlanta. Would you like to go? And then you get there and you need like binoculars to see the stage. And you're like, man, I wonder what they're doing. You know, that's one, one way. And two, you want to go, is this event even worth me going to? Like, are they just trying to get people to go to this thing? And now they're handing them out for free or what's the deal? So my wife and I are like, we're going to go. We get to East Lake Golf Course and it's hot. Like Georgia hot, you know what I mean? Like that you sweat just when you open the door to your house, you start to sweat hot. And so we're walking around this golf course. My wife doesn't make it 10 minutes before she says, I need a water. And I'm like, okay, rules of our house. At live sporting events, we don't buy snacks. (laughs) We just don't. I don't care how good the water is. No water is worth $12. Anybody want to amen that? No hot dog is worth $17. I'm just, it just isn't going to happen. This is the way that I was raised. So we're walking around and golf takes a long time. It's fun and it's exciting, but it takes a long time. And there's not a lot of places where you can go for shade. There's people fighting to get underneath all the trees, you know, like trying to get the shade from the tree. And we're all walking around and we're sweating and we get to the end. We've been there for hours, like four hours. 
And my wife, bless her, she just loves me so well. She stays for this whole thing. And finally, we get like the, the, the final pairing, the final group is about to finish. They have one hole left to play. And while we're walking towards the hole to see them, um, somebody says to me, hey, did you try the sliders? And I was like, what? Did I try the sliders? Said, yeah, your pass, your pavilion pass on your neck. Did you try the sliders? And I'm like, my wife is looking at me and I'm trying not to look at her because I'm sure there's lots of free water in the pavilion. And so I'm like, I didn't know about the pavilion. Why did the guy who gave me the tickets not tell me there was a pavilion involved? So we make our way, where is the pavilion? We make our way to the pavilion, which is on a hole that nobody is playing on anymore, but it's still pretty and beautiful. And we walk in there and there is every kind of food you can imagine. There is air conditioning in the pavilion. There are ceiling fans in the pavilion. There is two large refrigerators full of water and Gatorade, cold to quench your thirst. And we walk in, the people who are working the pavilion, um, they're already like changing into their normal clothes, you know, and, and, and in the, you can tell the food's kind of been cleaned up already a little bit. There's like a couple of cold chicken skewers over here, but there is a lot of water. And I think to myself, we just spent the whole day at East Lake Golf Course sweating our tails off, like just trying to not faint from dehydration. And the whole time this pass right here would have got us into the pavilion. We have not been to another sporting event, my wife and I, <laughs> since the Tour Championship of 2017. I say all that because we spent the whole day enjoying kind of something that we thought was great, only to find out that what we missed was we had access to something better the whole time. The whole day we walked around thinking we were here, we got free tickets, this is awesome. But the whole time we had access to something greater. And I think that's true for all of us. This morning, I want to talk about a simple idea. I want to talk about prayer. And I don't know when, what you hear when you talk about prayer. There's been lots of statistics done. One statistic done, uh, a poll done last year by the Barna Group would say that 80% of Americans would say that they've prayed in the last three weeks. That's pretty good. I'm like, man, I think we're doing good. But when I ask myself, I look at my own life, what I've been learning over the last two years is, man, I need a lot of help when it comes to my prayer life. Like it's confusing. Anybody, you just get confused in prayer. You're like, I don't know if it's working. I don't know if you're here. I don't know if I'm supposed to do anything. I, I don't know, like, can I pray in the car? Do I have to close my eyes? Do I have to fold my hands? If I do pray in the car and my eyes are closed, that's not going to go good. So how does that work? It just feels confusing to me. And I think most of us would say that. Like, I don't know anybody that's like, let me tell you the one thing I'm crushing in life. The one thing I am crushing is my prayer game is strong. Like, I've never heard anybody say that. Everybody's like, man, I feel like there's some kind of intimacy with God that I could improve upon in my prayer life. And the same has been true for me. What's interesting is that the disciples, think about it. These guys got to see the craziest things. They got to watch Jesus do miracles. They got to watch him heal the blind. They got to watch him turn water into wine. They got to watch him raise dead people. They got to watch him heal crazy stuff, do amazing things. They're just sitting there like watching them. This is amazing. But do you know that the only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them was to pray? 
That's pretty crazy. They didn't ever say, teach me how to preach like you preach. Teach me how to teach like you teach. Teach me how, how'd you just raise that debt? Teach me how to do that. That's pretty cool. I want to be able to do that. No, the only time recorded in the scripture where the disciples came to Jesus and say, you do this one thing that's different from us. And we would like for you to teach us how you do this one thing. Ready? We would like for you to teach us how to pray. That's encouraging to me. Like if the disciples needed help praying, I'm like, okay, it's not that bad that I feel as though I need help praying. Even Paul, Paul is like the most boss Christian ever. You guys know Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament. Paul says in Romans, he says, we don't know what we ought to pray for. I'm like, thank you, Paul, that comforts me. <laughs> like if the apostle Paul doesn't know what to pray for, this thing is tricky, you know what I mean? But Jesus speaks back to the disciples and he gives them an answer. And I want to dig into scripture. Really, my hope and prayer today is just to try to be helpful because I believe there's extraordinary power in prayer. And I believe that this coming after the chain break, chain breaker series is incredible because look, Jesus, the gospel, the power of God has broken the chains that have gripped us. That is true. But the way that this, so, the, so just imagine the shackles have been broken, the chains have been unlocked and they've come off through the power of God, the grace of God at work in our life. The way that we walk away from them is through prayer, through communion with the father, through intimacy with God. That's how we don't turn back and go and revert to the chains once again. And so I, I want you to know how much power there is in prayer. What an amazing opportunity it is that we have the ear of creator God. So Jesus is responding back to the disciples. Here's what he says. I'll read it. Start at Matthew chapter six, starting in verse five. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Then here's his instruction. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. How many of you have heard the Lord's prayer before? It's what we have uh, named it. Amazing. You know, one of the things that's interesting about the Lord's prayer is in many translations, the, the text that says... Um, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. That for their many words uh, is translated maybe better in their uh, repetitive words, their, their meaningless repetition of words. And what we have done is then taken what Jesus has said and just repeated it a thousand times. And we don't think about it all that much. Isn't that interesting? He's like, let me tell you what not to do. Don't make this just like some magic formula. Don't make this just like a routine. Don't, don't do that. And then we go, okay, got it. From here on, memorize and repeat. Interesting. But a few things I want to point out in this text that have been extremely helpful for me and I pray will be helpful uh, for you. One is this. It says in verse eight, um, it says that your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
That's encouraging to know. So, so when we come before God in prayer, what we are not doing is informing God of our problem as though he were lacking the information. What we do is we invite God into our problem as though he has a solution. Because he does. He can do anything. He's in control. He has all power. And then Jesus goes into the practical idea. This then is how you should pray. Our Father... I've said the Lord's Prayer a thousand times, at least, at my grandmother's house. And I have never stopped after those two words. Our Father. But when Jesus said those words to the disciples, that was a mind-blowing start to how you should pray. Because in those days, you would not refer to the holiness of God as Father. Or the Aramaic word, Abba. Some commentators have said that this word translates best into our English language as dad or daddy. And so, so what Jesus is saying is, hey, when you pray, you need to start off by understanding this primarily is about a relationship. And I am so bad at this. I want this to change so much for me because in, when I pray, oftentimes it's like I'm praying to this supernatural being. I'm praying to this person that I can't see. I'm praying to this spiritual force somewhere distant, impersonal, far away. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. That's not how you pray. When you pray, start off. Most important thing is come as a son, come as a daughter, come in relationship, our father. Imagine what would happen if we prayed that way. Like, like when you prayed, imagine if you saw yourself talking with someone else. It would change the way that you pray. The last two weeks, just leading into this, I've tried to just start my own prayers and say, Dad, just to help my mind, because it's difficult for me to do that. And it feels weird. Like I'm a 31-year-old, it feels weird. And it could feel weird for you, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm a grown-up. I got to call it like I'm calling him dad. That feels weird or father. But, but I think that there's probably something to this because what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18 is he says, truly, I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's something about keeping that dependency resisting the temptation to go like we're equals of some kind or I'm bargaining a deal here of some kind. No, 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 no. We are coming before God as a son or as a daughter. And I think if we would come that way, it would change so much about the way that we pray. And then there's six petitions in the Lord's prayer. You, you might know this. There's the first three are hallowed be your name. That, that means when you start your prayer, you say, our father who art in heaven, not like other than me, not like me, bigger than me, hallowed be your name. So you don't start off by going, dear God, the test is in 17 minutes. And I haven't studied, but if you will help me on this test, I will do anything you want me to do. I will move to Myanmar. I will do anything you want me to do, God, if you'll come through. No, that's not how we come into, into prayer. Jesus is saying, when you come, you come in relationship, you come as a son, you come as a daughter in the confidence of being in the family. And then you give him the glory, do his name. Hallowed be your name. 
Jesus, you are bigger. You are, your ways are higher than my ways. I am stunned at your power, at your authority. This is how you start. So it's not all about me. It's Jesus. I, I, I want, I, I, God, I want you. I want your will to be done. So the first petition is, hallowed be your name. Then your kingdom come, your will be done. This is all about God's economy, not about our needs. God, your kingdom come, not my kingdom come, your kingdom come, not my will be done, your will be done. So I am not praying to you today going, Jesus, I need you to get on my page. I am starting by going, God, I am telling you, I, 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 your will be done. Now, after you say that, th this is a relational thing. God, so God is interested in what's, interest, in what's interesting to you. God wants you to talk to him about the things that are interesting to you. The people in this room that are parents or, or dads, you know that, right? Like, like you don't, you're, you're not interested in half the kids, you're, half the stuff your kids talk to you about. Am I right? Like you care about Fortnite? No, but you want your kids to know they can talk to you. So you will, you know what I mean? Like you want them to talk to you about anything and everything. And so after these three petitions of giving God the glory due his name, it transitions into our personal petition. Here's what we need from you. And then it says, give us today our daily bread. Meet our needs for today, Jesus, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You wanna know something crazy about the Lord's Prayer? Did you know you were saying that? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I never knew I was saying that because what I'm saying is forgive me to the degree that I forgive those who trespass against me. Did you know you were saying that? If I knew I was saying that, I would have tweaked it and said, forgive me of my trespasses. Next line. Isn't it crazy? We've been saying that since we could like talk. It's amazing. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so, so this is not a template. It's not like you have to follow this, but Jesus is saying, let me teach you how to pray. You come as a son, you come in relationship, and then you give God the glory, do his name. And then you ask him for what you need. And he wants to know what you want. He wants to know what's going on with you. He's interested in what you're interested in. In. Prayer is about a relationship, not about a routine. In James, it says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Like, I wonder what life would look like if we all really prayed. Not if we all muttered words before we ate in the morning. Not, not if we all, you know, bowed at night and folded our hands and said something that rhymes. Oh, there's nothing wrong if your prayer rhymes. But, but what if there was this, this, sincere, this sincerity, this pleading with God? I want your kingdom to come. And I want to be a part of that. Any way I can be a part of that, I want to be a part of that. And here's what I need from you, God. I'm dependent on you. I need you to come through. We tend to pray as though God is this distant, impersonal, uninterested being, but he's not. He's interested in what we're interested in. Ian Bounds says this, the believer who is most highly skilled in prayer will do the most for God. You go, what do you mean by most highly skilled in prayer? Do you mean like they had the perfect room set up with the anthropology candle 
angled just right and they had the coffee from the right coffee shop angled just right and their journal was really nice and their handwriting. Is that what you mean? No, but that's what we think so oftentimes. Like the, the atmosphere has to be right for me to pray. And he's going, no, you want to know who's, who's going to be, do the most in the kingdom of God? The one who's most highly skilled. You know what he means when he says most highly skilled? The one who is committed to it, independent on it. So a few things that I've been learning in prayer, four points. I hope they encourage you uh, as much as they have me. Number one, prayer isn't easy, but it is worth it. Number one, prayer is not easy, but it is worth it. This has been so true in my life. I think it's why Paul says, uh, labor with me in prayer. It's though he's saying like, I know that this doesn't come easy. I, I know that this is difficult. I know that it's easy to be distracted. And Paul said that Paul didn't even have an iPhone. I mean, y'all laugh, but when you try to pray with your iPhone on you and see how effective it is, just got some app calling you, check me, check me, check me. Difficult to stay focused, you know? But Paul even said, labor with me in prayer. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 that I love and is very encouraging. It's the parable of the persistent widow. Do you know about this parable? I'll read it really quickly. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Not what you want in a judge. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he, the judge, refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And then Jesus says to his disciples, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will God not bring about justice for his chosen people, for his children who cry out to him day and night? Will he continue to put them off? Jesus is going, there's something about persistence in prayer. There's something about not quitting in prayer. And in 2018, in our instant culture, it's like, I get it. I'm going to pray today. And if it hasn't been fixed by tonight, I'm going to move on to a different system that will yield better results. But this isn't the way that God works. Can he do that? Of course he can. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it takes longer than you want it to take. And I'm so convicted of this in my own life. You just grow tired of praying for things like family members that I have that aren't following Jesus. And you just like, man, I'm committed to praying for you. And then over time, it just, you just drift. It's not that you did it on purpose. It's not like, man, I don't care about if you come to know Jesus anymore or not. You just drift. Life just gets busy and you quit. And Jesus is going, man, one of the most important things about prayer is this. Do not give up. I'm not working on your timetable, but I am working. So don't quit. I don't know who's in here or who's at 515. Maybe, maybe you've been praying for your marriage for a long time. And it seems like things just, maybe things even got worse or maybe it's not getting better. And you're like, you know what? I'm just gonna stop praying. I'm, I'm done with this because it's not working. I wanna encourage you today from God's word, do not quit praying. Don't quit praying. God is working. God is at work. He hears the prayers of his children. Don't grow faint. Yes, it is difficult, but I promise you it is worth it. Number two, prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. 
There is power in prayer. We somehow can petition God, can ask of God, and the result of that is that things change. And the the reality is most of us don't pray because we don't believe that. We pray because we were told that we should, but we don't pray often with this expectation of the sickness is going to go away or the job is going to be saved or, or this or my marriage is going to come back together. We have to pray and believe that because of our prayer, we could get a different result than we would have got had we never prayed. You're like, I don't know how that sounds. Well, in James, it's stated pretty clearly that you do not have because you do not ask. And I don't want to be a person who gets to the end of my life and does not have because I did not ask. So I want to be an asker and I want to do it a lot. There's, there's stories all throughout scripture. Uh, Hezekiah is one example. Second Kings chapter 20. This dude gets a death sentence. Like get your house in order. You are dead from God. Not a very good, you know, this is about, this is what's about to happen to you. You're not feeling good about things at that point. And Hezekiah goes back and he's praying and, and he says, remember my faithfulness, Lord. And the scripture says, the Lord heard his prayer and added 15 years to his life. Prayer changes things. Elijah healed a dead child through prayer. He prayed to God, God, I need you to come through. I need you to do this. And the boy was raised up. Prayer changes things. In my own life, we've been through a journey. We've been through cancer as a family. We've been through very difficult times with close, immediate family members and aunts and uncles. And we have seen the provision of God come through because of our prayer. Like if you don't quit, if you believe God can do this, then then you begin to see things change, not on your timetable, on God's timetable. But the best timetable is not your timetable. It's God's God's timetable. Tim Keller said it this way. He said, if we had all the information God has, if we knew everything that God had, we would answer all of our prayers in the exact same way God has answered our prayers. That's a crazy thought because I don't feel that. I'm like, man, if I'm up there running the thing, I'm probably choosing a different result. No, he's going, man, I'm working through all this. I know it wasn't an immediate answer, but what you don't understand is that in the waiting, I'm producing something in you and I'm producing something in your wife and I'm producing something in the nurses that are on your hallway at the hospital. I know you wanted an immediate result and don't stop asking me for an immediate result, but I'm working. Prayer changes things. Number three, prayer should be our first option, not our last resort. Prayer should be our first option, not our last resort. It has to become a higher priority for us. We even have made up a statement for this now, which is crazy. Have you ever heard this? All we can do now is pray. Like, what does that even mean? That's the dumbest statement ever. All we can do now is pray? Like, like it's come to this, we must pray now. That's such a crazy thought, but it's, it is how we think about prayer right? And it has to change to being like, so you're telling me all we have left is that me, a child of God, can meet with God and can ask God, the creator of the universe is listening to me and hearing me. And when I pray, things begin to change. That's all we have left. And I feel pretty good about that. I feel great about that. 
It has to become a higher priority for us. It's, it's not, we've tried everything else and this is so easy for me to do because I'm, I'm a go-getter. I've got horsepower. I wanna do things. I wanna go. And I have to remind myself, like I have to have prayer as my highest priority and not as a bailout for when my plans fail. Jesus did this all the time. He modeled this so perfectly for us. There's a story in Luke where it says that he goes away on the mountainside and prays and prays for the whole night. That's crazy. You pray for 30 minutes, I'd be falling asleep. It says he prays for the whole night, comes down. He's got his disciples with him, his apostles with him. He goes down, he does all this amazing healing. But none of the ministry happened before the night of prayer happened. Prayer was first priority, not last resort. And in your life and in my life, I, want, I wonder what it is for us. And it's very easily in my life, it becomes a bailout. God, I've tried everything else and now I need you to do something. And God's going, no, 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 I want you to come to me. I want you to come to me first and believe that I can do something about this better and more efficiently than you can do something about this. It has to become a higher priority. Last point. Prayer isn't a salutation, it's a commitment. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Then let me tell you what we do. Now, I'm not gonna say we, I'll say me, and maybe you're more spiritual than me. If so, send us a resume or something. We need people in the student ministry. Here's what we do. You're sitting across the table from somebody at dinner and they're telling you about something that's going on in their life. And you respond because you, you want to be helpful. You want to be compassionate. You respond and you say, what? You say, I'll be praying for you, man. Somebody says to you, I have a big job interview coming up on Wednesday. It's really big for me and my family. And you say, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for that. Somebody tells you that they have a mom or a dad or somebody that's sick in the family and they're telling you the story and you go, yeah, I'll be praying for you. But what it's so easy for us to mean, for me to mean is good luck. Good luck at your interview. I hope your mom feels better. I hope this goes well. It's just become a polite thing that we say at the end of a sentence to people who are having a difficult time. That is not what prayer is. Prayer is saying to someone who is in need, I have a relationship with the person who created everything and I am willing on your behalf to leverage that relationship for your need. I am willing, you, you, you got a big interview on Wednesday, great. Good luck with it. Also, I'm gonna pray for you. And when I say that, I don't mean good luck. I mean, I am going to go get on my face and I've got a direct line to the creator of the universe and I am going to come on behalf of my relationship with him and say, Father, you are amazing. You are holy. There is no one like you. Never has been, never will be. You are majestic. Your authority and your power are stunning. And God, my friend's mom is in the hospital right now. And the only thing that I can do about it is hand it over to you. But I know that there's something that you can do about it. So please, would you come through? Would you heal? Would you, would you come through, God? And then you go back to your friend and you say, hey, 
I, I don't know if your mom's doing better or not. I have expectation that she will do better, but let me tell you what I did do. When I told you that I was praying for you, I meant it. I went and sought God on your behalf. Imagine what the church would look like if we did this. If, if prayer causes things to change, if prayer is us leveraging our relationship for the sake of other people and for the sake of ourselves, imagine what would happen if we really committed to this. It would change everything. It's so easy for me to have something nagging at me or some struggle that I've had and I'm trying to find ways to get out of it. I'm trying to find ways to go around it. And then I get to a place where I'm like, man, you mean to tell me the whole time I could have just asked God? That's crazy. How many videos we've watched, how many books we've read, how, how, how many desperate measures we've gone to to try to find a way out of our current state. But we've never sat before God and said, honestly, you're the only one I know who can do anything about this. And so I'm gonna hand it over to you now. That's an amazing reality. Ian Bound says this, around us is a world lost in sin. Above us is a God who is willing and able to save. It is our job as believers to build the bridge that links heaven and earth. And prayer is the mighty instrument that does the work. I wanna ask you a question today. Let's just say something crazy happened right now in this gathering. Let's say God came down in power and everything that you had prayed for so far this year came true. Or maybe even shrink it. Everything you've prayed for in the last week came true. What would look different in the world? Who would be following Jesus? What would your marriage look like? What would your relationship with your kids look like? What would your job situation look like? What would, have hap what would happen if everything we've prayed for came true? What would look different in the world? Or would we find ourselves going, I don't have. And I don't have because I didn't take the time to ask. I don't want that to be true of me. And I don't want it to be true of you. Moses in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus was the representative of God. So the people would all come to Moses. They would tell him, here's our request. Here's what we, here's what we would like for you to present to God. And then Moses, it says in the scripture, this is crazy. Moses went and met with God face to face as though speaking to a friend is what the scripture says. That is crazy. We have been in church too long if that is not crazy. And everybody else, Moses is going to meet in this tent and he's gonna talk with God face to face and everybody else would be sitting like right outside their tent like, this is the craziest thing ever. That dude right there is about to meet with God. This is crazy. There was such awe, there was such reverence, there was such expectation. And then I look at my life. I'm not talking about yours, I'm talking about my life. I look at me and I'm going, where did the awe go? Where did the expectation go? And here's what's crazy. 
The gospel, the hinge of our story is this, that our sin separated us from God, but Jesus's sacrifice reconciled us to God. The veil was torn. So in the old days, Moses was the only one who could go meet with God. Nobody else could even get close. But because of Jesus's sacrifice, what he purchased for us was an all access credential. Here you go. I got this for you comes with a pavilion. And this has to blow our mind, people. This has to blow our mind again, that we, you and I can meet with God. I can talk to the one who spoke out all of creation and he hears me and he's interested in what I have to say because of the sacrifice of Jesus because of what he purchased for me. I'm no longer separated from God. I am reunited with God and I can have relationship with him. I can look to him as my dad on the authority of what Jesus bought for me. And I think the simple question is this, how are you taking advantage of the past? Like, are you going away to, to meet with God? The things that you have that are keeping you up at night, are you just trying to work the system and figure out some way to deal with it all? Are you, are you going, you know what? I remember I got that pass and I can go in the tent and I can ask the King of Kings. I can ask God Almighty. I can hand my troubles over to him. What if your secret place became a familiar place? I think the world would look different. I think our marriages would look different. I think our relationship with our kids would look different. I think our church would look different. I think this city would look different if the people of God woke up and go, you know what? The greatest opportunity I have is to know God and talk to him and he listens to me and then things change because of our conversation. And so I wanna ask you, are you using this past for yourself, for your needs? And then I want to ask you, like, who else is the beneficiary of you having this pass? Like, are the people in the neighborhood who, who don't know Jesus, do they know that you do? And can they come to you and go, you know what, didn't you know, like, I'm having this trouble. Didn't you know something? Didn't you know a guy? You ever been in that thing, like something happens with your car and it's weird? And then you're like, didn't, hey, didn't you just have this thing? Didn't you know a guy? And they're like, yeah, I did. I'll connect, I'll connect you with him. So when somebody comes to us and they're like, man, I'm having this trouble. I'm having this difficulty. I'm having this pain. I'm having whatever. We can go, I know a guy and I got the pass. I'll pray for you. I'm not telling you good luck. I'm telling you that I will leverage my relationship with the King on your behalf. You know, when we say in Jesus name at the end of our prayers, I pray that that isn't a throwaway statement. It's not a throwaway statement. What we are saying is, it's, it's what was said to the disciples all throughout when they would do things like heal people and everybody get frustrated and say, how are you doing this? Whose authority are you doing this under? Uh, the name of Jesus. And when we pray, we don't have to stand outside the tent. We don't have to, give all our troubles to someone and they go petition God for us. We can go ourselves. 
because of what Jesus has done and bought for you and for me. What a mind-boggling reality. If you are encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.